0: Well, good morning. good morning. I'm glad you're here. The story, uh, A Man Without a Country, is a fictional story. It was written about the time of the Civil War, but it's set in the Revolutionary War, and it was really written to kind of build support for the Union. But the antagonist is a guy named Philip Nolan, who's on trial for treason. And in the midst of his trial, he blurts out, I wish I may never hear of the United States again. Well, the judge is taken back. And after he gathers himself, he said, fine, we'll honor that request. You'll be put on a ship at sea, and, and you'll never dock. You'll never dock in the United States. And every crew member of that ship will be instructed to never talk to you about the United States. And so it goes. That's, that's the story. Uh, near the end of his life, He's dying. And one or two crew members uh, relent, and they uh, go into his room, and they find out he he set up a shrine to the United States. He's got George Washington's picture up there. He's got an American flag. And in fact, he loves the country. And in a moment of haste, he he spoke hard words. Uh, Soon after that, he's died, and, and he's buried at sea. You know, one mistake meant he couldn't get back to what he loved. One failure, one misspoken word, or one misspoken phrase cost him. I'm wondering, is it like that in our relationship with God? One misjudgment, one misplaced word, one wrong thought, one thing, is that it? Or, or, or are we shut out? Well, I want to talk about that today. So, if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Genesis 15, and my question is this. After we fail, is there a way back to God? After we fail, is there a way back to God? As you're turning there, let me, let me set the stage. Genesis, the first 11 chapters, talk about God's creation of humanity, uh, His desire to be in a relationship, and, and really humanity pushes back. They say, no thanks. And <clears throat> what goes on in the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve uh, want to be their own God. And we have inherited that tendency, it's been passed down. And starting in Genesis 4, you see the consequence. You see the first murder. By Genesis 6, God looks on the creation. He's sorry he made it. Why? Because it's full of corruption and violence. By Genesis 11, humanity is trying to build a tower to get to heaven to prove that God doesn't exist so they can, they can run. nation. God says, I'm not having it. And he disperses them. And in Genesis 12... God reinserts himself, and what he's going to do is he's going to show himself through a people, and he's going to start with a guy named Abram, his wife Sarah, and he says, you guys are going to be the father of a great nation, and he's going to show himself through the nation of Israel. History will tell us that Israel fails in that responsibility. Uh, The Savior, Jesus Christ, comes through the line of Israel, and now God is showing himself through a, a multifaceted Multinational group called the church. But God is, is making himself known through a people, and it starts with Abram. And the call of Abram is, I want you to follow me, and I want you to go to a land you don't know, to a people you don't know, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and in the midst of that call, Abram takes God at his word. We've talked about that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But even in his faith, Abram has doubts. He has failures, and I want to talk about that today. So here we go, chapter 15, verse 1, after these things. Now, what has immediately happened is Abram's nephew Lot was captured. Abram gathered an army of 318 people and went and delivered him. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, if you've been with us a while, you've heard me ask the question, what is God's number one commandment to his people? And it is, do not, do not fear. As far as I know, this is the first place God speaks it. And it's interesting that he speaks it in the call to faith. Abram, I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust in me. And the opposite of faith is fear. If we believe God, I think you can handle that situation. Well, we don't fear But what happens is we look at circumstances and we think and we think, man, is that am I taking my faith a little too seriously? Am I am I getting a little too religious on that? I I don't know. And and we're supposed to live in faith, and we step back in fear. And God's word to Abram is do not fear. And his word to you and to me, as we trust him today, is do not fear. Andy, what about this? What about that? Do you know God's bigger than those circumstances? Verse 2, we see Abram's got a fear. And and here it is, verses 2 and 3. Abram said, "Oh Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? That's a problem. He's going to build a nation through him. But Abram, by the time God called him, was 75. So he had been married probably 60 years to his wife, Sarah, and they hadn't had a child. And you're going to build a nation through me, and and I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram said... Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. That, that was the legal ruling at the time. If you don't have a, a physical heir, then the one who gets your stuff and who gets your things is, is someone who is born in your house, a servant. And, and so Abram said, look, my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, he's, he's my heir. And, and you're going to build a nation through me, through my family. There is no son. God has promised, if you trust me, I'll, I'll make your, your descendants numerous, like the, the grains of the sand. And Abraham said, yeah, I know, and, and I left my land, I'm doing my stuff, but still, no son, no son. So God says to that fear in verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, this Man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, and he shall be your heir. And he said, now, Abram, let's, let's go outside. Verse 5, and he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He doesn't say, Abram, you're going you're gonna to have lots and lots, lots and lots, lots. He said, let's go outside. You've been outside in a clear night, out, out in the country where, the, where there's no lights, and you look up. How many many stars can you count? There's too many. There's too many. And and that's God's point to Abram. You're going to have descendants more than the stars. So Abram, what are you going to do? You don't have a son. God's been promising for a while, but he said, I need you to trust me. I need you to believe in me. You're going to have descendants. I'll I'll take care of the the son problem. You build your life on that promise or you don't. And so verse 6 says this. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he reckoned to him as righteousness. You have right standing with me, Abram. Why? Because you took me at my word. You believed me. Now, you need to know Genesis 15, 6 is quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 4, verse 3, Galatians 3, verse 6, and James 2, verse 23. Why? Because faith is the threshold. Our belief is the threshold of our relationship with God. And all of us fail. And what we typically want to do when we fail is work real hard and make up for it. And God says, no, I need you to continue to take me at my word. Because my word says, my grace is deeper than your deepest sin. My mercy is greater than your greatest failure. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Or are you going to try and make it on your own? You're going to try and do it by yourself. you've been here before, you've heard me speak. I was in a Bible study my freshman year uh, just because I thought it would be a good thing to do. And then I got confronted with the gospel for the first time in my life. I've been going to church every week as a kid. And if I could come down to one phrase that caused me angst for six months, it was Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's these next words. Not as a result of works. What do I do with that phrase? Because I just thought, it just makes sense. You, you work your way. And if I fail, I just work that much harder. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And I, Finally, freshman year, I, I came to believe that I've got to put my trust, I've got to get them bored with the Word of God or i got to get out of this study. And I decided I'm going to trust God's Word February 79. My point is, if we come to God by faith, understanding our works aren't enough, why would we think we're going to switch gears and we're going to start working for His favor? Hey, you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. And I argue, just like Abram does, it's our faith that sustains us. So we're wrestling with this question After we fail, and we all fail, is there a way back to God? I want to say emphatically, yes, there is. is. Here's what I say. Even in the midst of failure, faith sustains our relationship with God. Even in the midst of failure, faith, belief in the Word of God, taking God as Word, sustains our relationship with God. Maybe some of you have been at this faith thing a while, and you've seen God change your life, and you've seen God mature you, and you're a different person. I celebrate with you. But the relationship we have, wherever we are with God, is His grace, which we receive through faith. When I went to Costa Rica to learn Spanish, uh, we live with a Costa Rican family, and we take um, two hours a day to, for classes, then I come home and do a a little route where I'd go to shops and I'd have a little text that I memorize. And, and that would take me to lunch and then I'd eat lunch and be done with lunch about 1.30 and I would go, and this is where I learned to speak Spanish, I would go right across to my neighbor, his name was Fernando. He had an in-home business and I would stay in his house from about 1.30 to 4 or 4.30 every day. He was glad for the company and I needed the practice with Spanish. So we would talk. So, so we're a couple months in on this thing. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty well here. we got the conversation going. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And he, he made cloth. He had an in-home business. And in, in, in the midst of our conversation, the phone rings. And he says, Andres, Andres, excuse me. And he's going to answer the phone. And he picks up the phone. And he starts speaking. And I think, I'm not understanding a word here. And then we pause. And then he gets to the end of the conversation. Those vemos that we'll see you. Can you do Let's speak it. After we you on. Click, phone's hung up. You know what, what I understood was that the conversation I'm having with Fernando, it's an act of grace on his part. Yeah, I've, I've come along from where I was, and yeah, I'm maturing. But if he speaks Spanish at the regular rate, I'm done. I'm done. You know, you may have come along in your relationship with God, and I rejoice with you, and that's great, and God's changed your life. But it's an act of grace. It's never, it never gets to the point, hey, we've merited this thing, we've figured this thing out. It is the grace of God which we receive through faith. And in your faith walk. If it's anything like mine, if yours is anything like mine, you're gonna fail. You're gonna doubt. I think that's too much. I think I'm taking God too seriously. You're gonna ask questions, just like hey, hey, hey God had given you, hey, you're gonna make you a great nation. He had given him that promise. Why well, I don't have a son. And Let's, let's come outside. Let's look at the stars again. I'm going to give you descendants. And again, we re-engage with God. So Abram's just had a statement of faith in verse 6. Go so in verse 7, and he, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Verse 8, Abram, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Didn't we just go through this? You, you take me at my word. Yeah, I talked about descendants. Now I'm going to give you the land. Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know. How, how am I going to possess that? The patience of God with our fear, with our doubt. So, so here's what he says to Abram, verse 9. Uh, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drew, drove them away. What is going on here? In the old days, when two kings made a covenant, here's what they did. They got a bunch of animals, and they cut them in half, and, and, and they lined them up. Okay, then the kings together walked through, and this was a sign of the covenant. And the deal was, what, may what happened to those animals happen to me if I break the covenant with you. It was a promise. I am in this covenant to the point I will be split in two if I break it. So so God is setting something up. And and Abram, remember, the question in play is, how will I know? How will I know? So, So God has Abram do that. And then verse 12 says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. A deep sleep tells me there's a vision. tells us there's a vision. God's going to give him a vision. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. I'll come back and talk about that. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and after they will, afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, remember they're in this other land, we know as Egypt, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Abram, I'm making a covenant. Remember, we've, we split the animals. I'm making a covenant. And this is the promise. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be 400 years. They're going to be there, and they're going to come back. And then verse 17, it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. The flaming torch is symbolic of God. But what, what I want you to notice is, Only one walks through the animals. Only one is going to bear the cost of the covenant, and it's God. And he said, let this happen to me if either of us fail. You know who failed the covenant? You did. And I did. But you know who bore the cost? God did. In the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, the question in play that Abram is asking is, verse 8, Oh, Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? And God's saying, I'll tell you what, I'm basing this promise on my character. You want to guarantee, Abram, I'm going to give you the best i got. I'm basing it on me. Hebrews 6, 13 and 14 says this, For when God made the promise to Abram, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by who? Himself. Saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Abram, you want to know why you can trust me? Because I'm basing this promise on me. You know, in the call to worship, we sang the song, The Solid Rock. Do you understand why we're singing that? Because our faith is not based on you, it's not based on me, thankfully. It's based on God, one who doesn't change. And that's the certainty that God will come through. Look, if you've ever bought a house and you sign loan papers, they don't say, hey, hey, just, just be good enough to pay and we'll, we'll trust you for it. No, 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 They hold the deed to your house. And if you don't pay, they We'll say, hey, either you pay or we're going to sell your house out from under you, and, and so it will go. And, and, and that's a motivator for most of us. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and pay. Our, you know, that, that's, we bear the God God's saying, no, 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 no. It, it's your failure. I'm going to bear the cost. You don't pay, and the bank's going to, they're not going to say, hey, hey, don't, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll cover this. No, no, no. And the way it works, God's different. It all rides on him. So that's why we sing a song like the solid rock. Now, I want to talk about, just for a moment, God's plan for Israel. Verse 13, he says they're going to be oppressed for 400 years. Look, Abraham's going to have a son, Isaac. Isaac's going to have a son, Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons. One's going to be named Joseph. Joseph is going to be betrayed by his brothers, but uh, God's going to work those circumstances to make him the number two person in Egypt. There's going to be a famine, and and the whole house of Abram whole lineage will go down, and they'll be spared in Egypt, but a new king will come in, he'll be suspicious of the Israelites, and they'll spend 400 years as slaves. Why would God do that? Well, I don't know the mind of God, but I do know a little bit about the history of the Egyptians. They were a very ethnocentric people. They wanted nothing to do with any other, they considered every other race inferior. So there'd be no mingling, there would be no mixing if you look at the history of Egypt, Israel, once they go into the promised land, they do a terrible job. They mix spiritual beliefs. But, but in Egypt, they will be pure because <laughs> they will be by themselves. And then God said, after 400 years, I'm going to bring them out. And he, this is the story of Exodus. He raises up Moses and they come out. He said, by the way, as you go, the Egyptians will give you stuff as you're going. They'll make you rich. And They do. He says, after 400 years, I'll bring them in to this land. I'll bring them back, and he does that. And I want to talk about two verses from Deuteronomy. This is right before the 400 years are done, and they're going to go back in the land. But before they do, God says this to the people of Israel. I'm in Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 and 5. It will be on the screen. He says, do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness... The Lord has brought me to possess the land. Hey, don't think you're coming to the land because you're so righteous. It had nothing to do with your righteousness. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It's their wickedness driving them out. Uh, Just for emphasis one more time in verse 5. It is not your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess their land. But it's because of their wickedness because the wickedness of the na- these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what's my point? Never, 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 never with God's people was, oh, your performance was so good. God, you guys were so good. I'm giving you land. No, no, no. no. It has nothing to do with that. It's the wickedness of the people. And if you look at verse 16, it says, Then in the fourth generation they will return here. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. At some point, God says, this people has become so sinful, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing them out. And you'll conquer them because of their sin, not because of your righteousness. This whole thing, it's always written on the character of God. Have you failed in your faith? I'll bet you have. I, I'm just guessing. I'll bet you have. But don't think, oh, I'm going to pull out my good stuff. It never was about your good stuff. It never was about my good stuff. It was about the word and the character and the person of God. And he wanted to give us a solid rock. He gave us himself, and he gave us his son, Jesus. And so our passage finishes this way. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, and the the and the Kadmonite and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephium, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. All these people are yours because of who I am, of what I promised to your father, Abraham. Do you understand why we focus on what we believe? We sang, this I believe. <laughs> why? Because it's critical. What we believe matters. We recited the Apostle Creed. Why? Because it matters. It's the very core of our faith. And when we fail, it's what we have. Our faith, what? In a God who is trustworthy. In a God who has given ourselves. Um, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the gospel. Jesus died in our place and rose again. Forgives our sin. Will you take him in his word? If you do... He'll restore your relationship with God, and he'll cover every sin, every failure. If you never trusted Christ, I invite you to do him right now. That's where it starts. And we move forward in the grace of God, trusting not in our performance, but trusting in the very nature of God. He bore the cost. We couldn't pay. When I was a little boy, I, I loved sports, and when I didn't have anybody to play with, we lived in a brick house, the driveway, and I would throw a, a ball up there and just catch it just to practice, and, and I would use a regular hardball, and and it was a, a blank wall, brick wall, but there was one window in there, and my dad said, why don't you use a tennis ball just in case? Dad, I got this. Chill out. I, got, I mean, it's one place. I've got the whole dad. I'm good, and so day after day, day after day, playing the ball and catching it, playing and catching it. And then one day I'm not paying attention, and and what do I do? I put the ball through the window. Hard ball. That was a long day, in case you were wondering. That was a long day. That happened about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. This is a long day. And I think my mom kind of primed the pump hey, your son's going to be coming to you. So I had to go to my dad hey, dad. You know, it's not like I wasn't warned told you I'm sorry and you know and he handled this really pretty well and but in the end who paid to have that window fixed? He did. I was ten. Who did the work to have the window fixed? He did. Okay? You get the picture. God has laid out who he is. He's laid out his law. He's laid out his commandments and you failed. And so have I. Who paid for it? He did. We're growing and we're maturing and that's fantastic. Keep growing, keep maturing. But in there, there's going to be doubts. There's going to be fear. There's going to be failure. And the good news is it was never about our performance. It was about the character of God. And it's our faith that sustains us in our failure. Let me pray. And I'll ask our worship team to come up and close us. So, Lord, we're grateful. For uh, your word. And um, uh, when you could promise by no one greater than you promised by yourself. And, and, and you, you, you walked through the halved animals by yourself. And you paid that price, even though we were the covenant breakers. Lord, that, that we would not start in faith and then continue in works, but we would be people who take hold of your word, and and would you empower us to continue to believe? I ask this in Christ's name, amen.